Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Thank you, Thursday. Nothing personal word of the day for Thursday, November 11th, 2021 is thank you, Thursday. Today is Veterans Day, and it doesn't need to be thank you to the veterans today because it's Veterans Day. It should be thank you to the veterans on any day that ends with Y. I always found it to be incredibly annoying that there was one day specifically, just be nice to your mother on Mother's Day or your father on Father's Day. Thank a veteran because it's Veterans Day. On Memorial Day, please think about those who lost their lives, if you don't mind. And on Labor Day, think about the end of summer. All these different holidays. Veterans Day shouldn't be a holiday. There shouldn't be a Veterans Day. It's insulting to veterans, in my opinion, to have a Veterans Day. Every day should be a Veterans Day. I guess under that theory, there'd be no work days because you don't work on Veterans Day. When you don't work or have school on a holiday, do you think that kids and adults lose the focus of what the day is and what it means and they associate it simply with an off day? Hey, what are you doing for Veterans Day? Like it's a holiday weekend. Hey, do, are you going skiing during Martin Luther King Jr. weekend? President's week, it's vacation time. Who are the presidents honored in President's week, President's day? I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a bad roll here, I'll tell you why, Coca, because I'm annoyed with Veterans Day because so many people take veterans for granted, don't realize they're homeless, they have PTSD. There are people who are doing quite a bit of work. The Wilpons, actually, in baseball, the former owner of the Mets, were one of the most charitable people when it came to helping veterans and raising money for veterans. You see on the street homeless people holding signs in New York, I'm a veteran, please help. And you're torn, what do I do? If I'm giving money, am I adding to the problem? Would you just rather give money to a shelter that's gonna take people in and help people? There's so many different causes. But I have a way to make it better just in your own universe. Just be nicer to people in your own family or in your own extended family or in your own workplace or your school with people who have been in the service. And don't thank them just today. Don't make it thank you Thursday. Come in tomorrow and say, hey, I just wanted to say thank you Friday. It's Veterans Day. Of course we're doing a show. Scott Boris is doing a show for us. I think Scott Boris should be the guest host of Nothing Personal. Big misunderstanding. This is not 
a personal vendetta I have against Scott Boris. I could care less. I could not care less. People say that mistakenly. I could care less. Well, if you could care less, then why don't you start caring less? I couldn't care less means you really, there is no scenario under which there is even an inch of space where you could reside, where there would be a level of less care than there is where you currently are. You can't shine a flashlight through the space that exists between where I am with Scott Boris and where the level of nothing is. I could not care less because I don't have to deal with him and his players anymore. I don't have to think about all of his manipulations and the way he's jumping on my head to get to the owner to get us to sign another bad player, another player that's not worth the money. I get to listen to him talk and watch all of you listen to him talk and realize that I had it right the whole time and now you see it so clearly. The way he talks is a joke. Please tell me that you watched any video of Scott Boris meeting the media during the GM meetings. Have you seen any other agent quoted during the GM meetings, during the winter meetings? It's always Scott Boris who holds court and the media loves it because he gives the media something to write about. Why is that important? Because GMs don't give the media anything to write about because GMs never give good quotes. Sometimes they do and they make it to nothing personal. Mostly they're totally banal, 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 ordinary. But Scott Boris's quotes are juicy. Do you notice that he only talks about himself and his players and then the industry? That's the subject. When there's a collective bargaining agreement that needs to be negotiated, you can bet your bippy that when Scott Boris takes the microphone, he's going to talk about how bad the current situation is for the players and how things need to change, and he did not disappoint. He met the media yesterday, and he, forget the individual stuff he said about Michael Conforto. I put one of those on my Twitter. Michael Conforto, there's extraordinary interest. This guy is the ace of spades and the king of queens, the greatest player. Nick Castellanos is Saint Nick delivering. We'll see who's been naughty and nice. Just all these mixed metaphors, total idiocy. He called someone Sean Connery. Chris Bryant is like the James Bond of baseball or the Sean Connery. Just all sorts of meaningless stuff trying to get everyone excited for his players but I want to focus on something slightly different if you don't mind and I don't think you do he mentioned rotten eggs I wish I could smell rotten eggs but I can't I had a thing the uh this morning coca that I did not mention to you when we were doing our pregame prep is that I had a bagel and I had cream cheese with the bagel because I wanted a bagel because I was hungry. And the cream cheese was dated November 4th. And today is November 11th, so that's a week old. And I looked inside the cream cheese and I did not see any mold at all, so I figured it was fine. And then I smelled it, which is what you do to see whether or not something is spoiled. And I couldn't smell anything. And I said, oh, my God, I can't eat this cream cheese. So I had to throw it away.
I've been doing that with food where you can't tell whether it's good. Like when milk is past the date on the carton, I'm just throwing it away because what if it's sour? I don't know why that's in my head. Oh, it's in my head because I had that cream cheese. So I had to throw the cream cheese. So it impacted my entire morning, by the way, because I didn't have extra cream cheese. So I ended up having to go margarine. So my entire routine for the morning, not that I do it every morning, but I sort of envisioned. Do you ever do that when you wake up and you envision what your play is until you have to go to work? What you're going to do? I'm gonna shower first. No, I'm gonna eat first, then I'm gonna shower. No, I'm gonna toast the bagel, then I'm gonna jump in the shower while it's toasting, then get the bagel, get it out. I'm gonna picture myself getting the knife. Does anyone else do this? You get the knife, you know where the cream cheese is, you know what plate you're gonna use, where on the counter you're gonna do it, and then you have the napkin, you're gonna eat it, you're gonna make sure you brush your teeth before you're on camera, you check for crumbs, you do a floss. Anybody else have sort of how it works? I'm gonna leave the house at this time, I'm gonna work backwards. I've got to catch this train or make sure, do I have gas? I have to think about gas in the car. All these things that you think about. And when something goes wrong with your plan, it can be off-putting. It can like take you off the rails. I try to have nothing ever take me off the rails, right? You want to be flexible. You want to be willing to deal with what comes your way and be able to quickly get it out of your head. But I was definitely negatively impacted by the lack of cream cheese this morning and had to go with the margarine as a audible, and it was fine, country crock, decent, not terrible, but the feeling, the texture of it, just didn't do it for me. Rotten eggs smell terribly, and Scott Boris is talking about rotten eggs in a way that is bizarrely Jewish, or Last Supper-y, or Easter-like, we're about to hit Easter, aren't we? When is Easter, Coca? Isn't it in April, right around Passover? I don't know. I think Easter Sunday is, isn't Easter Sunday the last supper? Or is that the day of the first supper, or the resurrection? I'm getting all my holidays confused, but it doesn't matter. It matters that Scott Boris, he was upset and talking all about tanking. That's been his big thing. He believes that tanking is the downfall of the sport because fan bases don't have a chance to win. And when they don't have a chance to win, they lose engagement. And if fans lose engagement, revenue will go down. And if revenue goes down, salaries will go down. And if salaries go down, then he makes less money. So it's a very easy trail when you're dealing with Scotty Boras to it all goes back to sort of like the, the special trail, right? It all goes back to his poche, his pocket. So he was very focused on tanking, saying we have to stop tanking, and here's why. And he went into an entire conversation sullying the Atlanta Braves and their championship, saying that the Braves won the championship by making acquisitions at the trade deadline creating a team that was not their team, taking a team that wasn't 500, taking players from teams that were giving up on the season, and then you've got teams that can win 100 games because they spend money and they're good from the beginning of the season, and those teams don't win. OMG, Scott. The entire purpose of the trade deadline is to adjust to what is wrong with your team. 
and the way you adjust what's wrong with your team is through player acquisition. There cannot be player acquisition without players to acquire. The players to acquire come from teams that are not delusional about their situation. There are teams that go into the season expecting to win. When they don't win, then they go into trade mode. Those are the teams that you want to be a fan of. You don't want to be a fan of mine, where I thought we were in the race every year, trading away minor league players like they're growing on trees with the thought that, hey, let's go for it, and then it only works once out of 18 years. Is that what you want? Well, of course nobody's going to copy that because it didn't work. Wouldn't you copy that which works the best and do it for yourself? It's called best practices. It's the best practice to run a Major League Baseball team in a way that will lead you to win the most games over a period of time when winning those games leads to increased revenue, rings, and therefore increased asset valuation. Scott doesn't realize the lesson of know when to hold them and know when to fold them. He wants nobody to ever fold them, in which case... There would be no trade deadline. You could just get rid of that. So I want Scott to suggest that to his players on the executive council, which he controls, by the way. When you watch the collective bargaining take place, don't forget that what you're watching is Scott Boris try to get what Scott Boris wants for Scott Boris's own pockets. And he did that by forcing his own players onto the executive council, getting them elected so they are the main negotiators with the commissioner. And those are the players who have the future of the collective bargaining agreement in their minds because whatever those players say, the union members will agree to. If the executive council approves a collective bargaining agreement and agrees to ratify it, I promise you the main body of the union will agree to. And if the executive council does not agree to a deal, I promise you the main body of the union is not going to stage a coup. They're not going to try to overtake Boris and his bunch of henchmen. So it is critical for the first time that we pay attention to what Boris is saying and explain to him why what he's saying is wrong. He believes the tanking only started in 2012 when the inter when the draft slotting came into play draft slotting for the amateur draft is when the number one pick overall can get a maximum of let's say six million dollars and the team that drafts first has a total pool to sign drafted players of eight million dollars six million of which is used for the first round pick and then two million for other picks i'm making numbers up and Scott Boris views that as the worst agreement the players ever made. Here's why the players agreed to that back 10 years ago. Because what owners were doing was spending 20 to $30 million on the first pick. And when that first pick didn't work out, they would take that out of payroll and that would impact you. When they spent $30 million on the first pick and you had the player who had the first, who was drafted first, you got 5% of that $30 million. So your $1.5 million payday, when it became a $5 million pick, all of a sudden it went down to two hundred and fifty dollars Uh-oh, that impacts 
your ability to keep your Boris Corp operating. But as a president, we couldn't stand first picks getting 30 million because why would we tank for the first pick? We couldn't afford to pay the 30 million, but we'd still want the first pick because it meant that we were in charge and controlled our destiny, that we could hold up a player if we wanted. Do you think that trying to get the number one overall pick only started with slotting and only started with budgets? If you're gonna be bad, be bad. Good executives don't wanna live in the middle. I spent most of my career in the middle. It's the worst place to be, picking 13th, 14th, 8th, 9th, 15th. You're not getting anywhere. When you're gonna do something, you go all in and do it right. And it still may not work. But for Boris to complain when it's so self-serving made me smile because he actually thinks it's gonna change. There are not eight owners, forget 23. You need 23 to do anything. Eight to block because there's 30 owners. There's not one owner who wants to go back to the draft the way it was, but here's another little secret, Scott. There's not one player who does either because the players in the union want the money for themselves. They don't want all that money going to unproven players, half of whom don't make it. They want to help themselves. So all of your talk about how bad it is, the race to the bottom, he called it, this is the Easter Bunny delivering rotten eggs. Every team says I need to do this because it's my only option, knowing I can't reach a divisional crest. I can't get in the playoffs. We have seen the championship in 60 days. The rules allow them to be less than 500 on August 1st and add four players from teams that no longer wanted to compete. That's what he's complaining about. Makes me smile. In doing all this, we've now created an understanding that a fan would not know who the true team is until the trading deadline. As a fan of your team, how often do you complain when your team sells instead of buys? You only complain when it's your view that the team is better than they've shown or you wish that they would be in the race or you believe that they are in the race. So you say, hey, buy, please. But when you know your team has no chance, yet they have this thought that they can do it, you complain saying, why would you give up our future for a shot in the dark that is never gonna happen? So all you're asking us as executives to do when you are a fan is you're asking us to think about things the way you think about them. They're asking us to evaluate them the same way you've evaluated them. You're asking us to be fans the same way you are fans. And we could never do that. It's our job to actually do the opposite, to not be fans in any way. And so when Scott Boris starts talking about these players and starts drumming up fake interest and starts talking about how bad tanking is and saying that he's speaking on behalf of you, let me assure you, he is not speaking on behalf of you because he doesn't care about you, the fan. I said that it's not that I didn't care about you as fans. I said that I couldn't listen to you as fans. Two different things. Boris is pretending to actually want to act in a way that he believes is for the sole benefit of fans. 
that's where I draw the line with him. Don't bring you into it. It's not right. Hiding behind your love of the game and love of fans. Shameful. You know, he he said something else that I have to mention. Coca, do we have time? I don't know where we are with time. He he thought of something that uh, that he would get rid of the the draft cap, right? We talked, we just talked about that. But then he had a quote about it that I need to explain to you how executives think because he's not an executive; he's never run anything in his life, literally anything. He acknowledged, Boris did that there will never be a situation where there will not be a cap. That's too many negatives, but the draft cap will always exist, which means there's no more $30 million for your number one overall pick. But he said there are other ways to control this race to the bottom. He wants to stop clubs from being in a position where they say, wow, it looks like I'm going to win 66 games, and I'm okay with that. That's losing right? 96 games. He wants to put a system in place which says, if I don't win 74 games, I lose my draft pick. So I'm going to do whatever I have to do to win the extra eight games because I don't want to lose my draft pick. And we know that draft picks matter. So he then says that will make a team, wait for this, not dump their players at the deadline. Okay. Let me ask you a question, Scott, if that's what you think executives are going to do. Are you aware that Chris Bryant would never have been on the Giants? So you couldn't talk about him as James Bond in the hunt for October and how great he is in the playoffs? Because the Cubs would have to win extra games, right? They couldn't risk trading away all of their players. But yet you take total advantage of the fact when players are traded and they do well in the playoffs because when you represent them, you say, hey, you need this guy in your team. He is a difference maker in October. When I was running a team, there is no way that I would try to win 74 games versus 66 or 66 versus 74. Winning that number of games doesn't guarantee you a draft spot, and a draft spot does not guarantee you a good player. And what about your other guy, Scott? Your main, who's your biggest free agent on the executive council? Just out of curiosity. It's Max Scherzer, right? He's your player, he's a free agent. How did Max do after the trade deadline? Good? Max Scherzer got traded. Dodgers, finalist for the Cy Young. Are you going to use his postseason accomplishments as you try to get him a multi-year deal with the Dodgers or another team? You're so inconsistent, Scott, that it makes me laugh. Do you have another player in Washington? Do you possibly represent Juan Soto? Hmm. So what's Juan Soto going to do in Washington? Are you going to let him sign a contract? Are you going to bring him to free agency? And then you're going to tell me, oh, the players will decide what they want? You don't let your players decide. You tell your players what to do, and they listen to you like lapdogs. It's as though you have somehow put a chip inside them that they do anything you want. They carry your water. It's amazing. I compliment you. 
I tip my chapeau to you that you get these grown men to drink your Kool-Aid. When I run a team, you think that I am focused on what you're saying? No. I want to get a draft pick because I want to identify a player who I can add to the system, who can make the system better, who can either become a major league player for me or be used to trade for another major league player. If I draft 4th, 8th, 10th, 15th, I don't care. And if you ask any scouting director, they'll tell you the same thing. So you think that you're going to find a way to change a bunch of rules that say teams can't draft in the top five more than two years in a row or three out of five years, that there's some sort of going to be, going to be a punishment if you lose 100 games multiple years in a row? And you think that if that is the best way to run a team, and that is the way that the owner and the GM think will put them in the best position going forward, that those rule changes will alter their behavior? You simply could not be more wrong. Our behavior has nothing to do with anything you say. Anything. Okay. I, I can't even talk about Scott Boris anymore. It's enough. There'll be plenty to talk about during the negotiations, that's for sure. So it's these GM meetings that are up and running. And there's a lot of talk about... Are moves going to be made or are they not going to be made? Have you seen the one move that's been made in the baseball GM meetings? There's been one move total made. Andrew Heaney, our old player, Andrew Heaney, the guy we traded to the Dodgers, who was then traded immediately to the Angels for Howie Kendrick, the guy who gave up his future earnings for an upfront payment of $3 million. He then gives 10% of everything he makes to this company. We've talked about that. Andrew Heaney, the New York Yankees, great pitching acquisition, who I told you wasn't going to work. And then he got designated. That Andrew Heaney just signed an $8 million, $8.5 million cut. 14, 28, 69. That Andrew Heaney, who just signed an $8.5 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's that guy. One-year deal, $8.5 million. All these articles came out. Hey, he's got great upside, great spin rate. His peripheral numbers are such that he's going to have way more success next year than this year. We love the optics of this signing. There were 10 teams in on Andrew Heaney, and the Dodgers got him. Okay. Do you want to know why the Dodgers signed Andrew Heaney? Because they can. Because $8.5 million for Andrew Heaney, it's a throwaway. It's like signing a player at the minimum. I've told you about the Dodgers' bully money. This is the number one example of bully money. It doesn't matter if Andrew Heaney is good or bad. It matters that if you sign 10 Andrew Heaney's, one of them is going to be in your rotation going forward for the season. There will be depth in case of injury. 20 teams could not afford Andrew Heaney at $8.5 million. 29 teams think he's not worth $8.5 million. 30 teams know. He's not worth $8.5 million. But why would the Dodgers sign him? Why would he be the only one to make an agreement? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Well, I got to wait to see for you about Andrew Heaney. And it's a guarantee. I did these last year. Remember when the Yankees signed their guy, Corey Kluber? On a flyer, they call it. It's a good risk. 
There's only upside. It'd be nice if I had $8 million in payroll room that was only like a possible upside. Boy, that'd be great if he ends up being good, but if not, we'll just jettison him away. Andrew Heaney will not start 20 games for the Los Angeles Dodgers next year. You wait to see. That's when I tell you something's going to happen. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But I'll always revisit it. Andrew Heaney on the Dodgers as the major move of the GM meetings? That's about right. All right, we come back. We got to talk a little about the Dalvin Cook situation because it's a very serious situation in the NFL. And we're going to review a movie. So please come back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. This is David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, following all of the love on Twitter and the DMs at David P. Sampson, all the questions you ask, all the engagement, the back and forth. I love it. Tell your friends about Nothing Personal, please. Join the party. So I wanted to do a list, and I did that list on Lebitard today. You can download the local hour. It was a good local hour today, or whatever day you're listening to this, Thursday, November 11th. And we talked about Veterans Day movies. And we talked a little about James Bond. And I'm going to watch No Time to Die today. And I'm going to review that on Tomorrow's Nothing Personal. But I wanted to talk about a movie that was in my top five list that I gave a little bit of attention to today on Levitard. But I wanted to give even more attention to you in case you're only listening to me, which I like that you're here with me on Nothing Personal. It's a movie from a really long time ago. And I don't want you to be scared that it's 43 years old, no matter how old you are. And that you'll think, oh my God, the, the special effects are going to be terrible. I won't have heard of anybody. It's going to look old and weird. All of that may be true. But I want to reiterate, please go see a movie called Coming Home with John Voight, Bruce Dern, and Jane Fonda. It is a movie about what it's like to reintegrate into society when you have come back from a war. It's a movie about how people interact with each other, how you deal with the trauma. And I reiterate the ending scene is meaningful, scary, not horror scary, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking, mind-numbing. And when you watch Coming Home, Here's what'll happen. Today won't be Veterans Day for you. That's why I want you to watch Coming Home. Because by the end of the movie, every day will be Veterans Day. And that's how it should be. Coming Home. Okay, Dalvin Cook had someone come into his home, former girlfriend, 
I think she's in the Army Staff Sergeant. I don't know what rank that is, but whatever rank that is, she came uninvited into his home. So we think. There's a lot going on with this, this player, Dalvin Cook. Let me just cut to two things about the story that I'd like you to focus on. Number one, and this is true of all the stories that we talk about on Nothing Personal, there are two sides. I'd like to be so presumptuous as to say there's two sides of every story. And when you are reading things in the media, make sure you focus on why they're being written, by whom they are being written, and where they are being published. Just because you read something doesn't make it true. Just because you read something doesn't make it not true. There's a misunderstanding on Twitter that blue check means true. Blue check means real, not true. And it's a white check, by the way, not a blue check. And I'm gonna go to the mat with that. On my Twitter, my check is white with a blue background. When you see that, that means that it is actually the person who's doing the tweeting who's saying they're doing the tweeting. They're not trying to pretend they're someone they're not. It does not in any way mean that which they say is accurate. You've heard me talk about John Heyman on this show. John Heyman, who's a good guy, writer, but he very clearly is known as someone who spreads the message for Scott Boris. That's great that he gets those scoops. It's great that he gets that info, that insider information, but you just have to know what you're dealing with. When you read the New York Times, you know exactly what their agenda is. When you watch Fox, you know what Fox's agenda is or CNN. You have to know the source. Why is it when Adam Schefter says something, you just say, wow, that's got to be it, right? Well, Adam Schefter tweeted out the story of Dalvin Cook saying, hey, he's the victim here. He got beaten up by this woman. And while this woman is accusing him of violence and domestic abuse, it's Dalvin Cook who should be looked at as the victim. Then word, of course, came out that Dalvin Cook was just as culpable as his girlfriend, that his girlfriend looked like she had gotten beaten the crap out of. And now Adam Schefter is stepping it back. I should have done more work. I should have thought about the other side. I should have taken more responsibility. No, I'm not going to agree with you. Just own what you did. An agent for a player called you and gave you inside information about a story that was happening, and you decided to tweet it because you knew that it was a big story and that you would then be cited every time the story was mentioned ever. You would be given the credit for having broken the story, which is how you have eight and a half, eight point seven million followers, which is how when you're a free agent, you're gonna cash in the way my friend Darren Ravel cashes in on his two million followers and is able to go from place to place and get paid because there's a thought that somehow your following can get monetized. And you want to keep those relationships in place because that is how you make your money. I totally get everything that happened and why it happened. It makes perfect sense to me. So it's incumbent upon you, the reader, the fan, to not just assume that what you read is accurate. 
which is why you come to nothing personal and get both sides, educate yourself, and then decide for yourself what you think is right or what side you want to believe in. When I'm running a team and I've got a situation with a player, I know very well that I want word out that my player is either to blame or not to blame, depending on how good the player is, depending on what I think the punishment is going to be for that player. That is how hard I will choose to either fight for that player or not fight for that player. Yes, it's based on that player's skill and ability. I don't appreciate that I was that way, but I was. And that's how executives are. But when you are put in a position where you are in a firestorm, and that's happening now in every team every day. We did a whole show yesterday about this, didn't we, Coca? We did a whole show about, um, what was the show on yesterday? Oh my God. It was a whole show about, this is unbelievable. What was our main focus of the show yesterday? Damn it, Coca. Oh, we talked about the Mets. Correct. And the word of the day was reluctance. Thank you very much. That people were reluctant to come to New York, but that's not what I was really talking about, but that is what we started with. Oh, Penny Sarver. Oh, oh no, the investigative firm. Yes, we got there. Thank you, Coca. You got me there. We said yesterday, or maybe it was the day before, that we were going to start a firm that did investigations because every day there's a new person who has to resign. There's a new person getting investigated. So these teams now, when you are running a team, you've got to be prepared that your turn is coming, no matter what. So there's a coach here who had a small problem, and I want to help him out because I feel so badly for him. He's the coach of the Minnesota Vikings. His name is Mike Zimmer. And Dalvin Cook is a member of the Vikings. And do you remember when Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers, had the problem with Trevor Bauer and said, hey, listen, I'm just waiting to hear what MLB says. He's slotted to pitch on Sunday. There's nothing more I can do. What do I know? And then all of a sudden, MLB put him on administrative leave, and he didn't pitch, and he was never heard from again. So as teams, as a president, I would say to my manager and my coach or my GM, hey, let's let MLB handle this. Not. I'm taking charge of my own narrative, my own PR, my own team's position. I am preparing everyone who is front-facing how to deal with the situation. That is what the media training is for. That is what communication is for, to give people messages to help them. Because so many people in sports have a microphone in front of their face so many times a day that if you don't help them, they end up stepping in it. And these days when you step in it, you can be canceled in the snap of a finger. Did the owner of the Vikings, who are people I know and I like very well, did they have no idea that their coach was going to be asked about Cook? No thought? Come on, Ziggy, you know better. You had the coach say he didn't know much about the details surrounding Cook. He said, honestly, I quote, I don't know that much about the situation, Zimmer said. What I was told is the NFL said this is a civil matter and it is what it is. So I don't know that much about it, honestly. OMG. When asked about his player, Dalvin Cook, coach Mike Zimmer of the Vikings, said the following. It is very important as an organization 
that our fans understand that we will not permit or tolerate domestic violence in any way. Victims of domestic violence come in all shapes, sizes, and sexes. We don't know exactly what happened in the Dalvin Cook situation, but I promise you that we are going to find out and we are going to make sure that we work in concert with the NFL, with the attorneys, with Dalvin Cook, and with his ex-girlfriend to figure out what happened and to try to make sure things like this don't happen again to anybody. This is a tragic situation that is happening all too often. I won't talk more about the Dalvin Cook situation because I'm going to keep focusing on my job, which is to win games, but I am confident that the people whose job it is to find out what happened are doing their job, and I'm going to follow up to make sure they are. That's what you have your coach say. Right off the top of his head, you give him the talking points. You want to make sure that when you say it's being taken care of, that you say, I'm going to follow up because you don't want a Blackhawk situation. Well, I reported it. I didn't follow up. Oh, God, I'm fired. So you don't want that. So now you're going to see a lot of quotes, if people are smart, that say, I brought this to the people's attention in the NFL or MLB or the authorities, but I'm going to follow up to make sure that action's taken. I am responsible and I feel responsible. You're going to see a lot of that. What you can't let your coach do or your players or your GM, you can't put them out there in front of the media without anything in their head about what to say. He looks like a moron. And coaches always know about all the situations, by the way. Trust me. There's not one thing that happened in 18 years that we didn't talk to our manager about. Not one thing. Not one issue with the player. Off-season, on-season, we were talking to the coach and the manager immediately. Nothing personal pick of the day. You had my Bucks pick last night, right? We're hot. 147 and 131. The Bucks didn't need the points. They beat the Knicks outright. I don't I, I I think that line must have been wrong, Coca. You said the Bucks were getting three points from the Knicks at the Garden, the defending champions. I assume that was a misprint in the newspaper or by the Caesar Sportsbook or whoever wherever we get our lines, because that just was way off. But we're sixteen over. We've got Thursday night football. Coca made it very clear we will not be taping anything tonight. He's a Ravens fan. He's gonna watch the Ravens. It's all he wants to do. And that's fine. He got so upset with my pick of the day today. I've got the Ravens seven and a half over the Dolphins. The Dolphins stink. I may lose a weight to see tonight, Coca, if Tua is a healthy scratch. They're saying he's got a little hurt, a little something, something. But I had a wait to see that Tua will play every game for the Dolphins that he's healthy. I guess I could get away with saying he's not healthy if he doesn't play. But I think they're starting... Who are they starting? What's the name of that? Their backup quarterback, Justin Smollett or something? That's not, is that the name of the actor that we were talking about yesterday? I can't hear you. Oh, Jacoby Brissett. Got it. What were we just talking about yesterday? Um, That actor. Weren't we just, was it you? Are you there? All right, whatever. He's gone. I think he's starting to cut the show for tomorrow. (laughs) Okay, so we're taking the Ravens. And Coco got angry with me because he loves the Ravens. And he said, if the Ravens lose, he's done with nothing personal. Do you realize if the Dolphins beat the Ravens outright tonight, Coco has said he will resign as producer of nothing personal 
because he will blame it on me for having chosen the Ravens in the nothing personal pick of the day. Granted, I'm 147 and 131, but don't you think that's a little much given that we get along very well, that we produce, you're producing a very good show that's still growing, and you're going to leave it all. You're going to drop it. I think that was a bit of hyperbole, but I guess we'll wait. Okay, I want to close the show with a quick final wrap-up full circle on Scotty. Scotty Boras talked about one of his players, and he had the quote. All these quotes that you like and that I like that make for good segments at the top of the show his Easter eggs and James Bond and St. Nick's and all the other crap. All of that is just hot air, right? It's buffoonery. It's idiocy. What he did here, though, is downright... <clears throat> I was going to say criminal, and that's wrong. It's not criminal. It's manipulative. It's so deceptive. It's such a crock of crap. J.D. Martinez is his player on the Boston Red Sox. Jamie D. Martinez has an opt-out in his contract that he's never taken. And the reason he's never taken it is that he's never been able to get anyone to pay him more than what he's making with the Red Sox. The Red Sox were praying to God that he would opt out every single year of his deal. They wanted him to opt out so they could get out from under the contract. The very contract they signed with J.D. Martinez is the reason the Red Sox had to trade Mookie Betts. J.D. Martinez did not opt out of his contract for next year. He's going to earn $19.35 million. Do you know what would have happened if he had opted out of his contract? He would have been a free agent. Would he have gotten more than $19.35 million on an annual basis? No chance, toilet pants. Zero even with universal DH coming. But here's the quote from Boris. The ownership there, talking about Boston, supported this decision to not opt out and told him they're going to make every effort to make the team even more competitive, comma, so he decided to return. Just leave that there, please. Just pause the show and think to yourself. J.D. Martinez asked the Red Sox to be even more competitive than they were. You remember how the Red Sox did this year? Do, do we all remember how the Red Sox did? Okay. So he asked the Red Sox owners, hey, are you going to sign more guys to be even more competitive than we were, even though we played halfway into October? Okay, you are? Well, and I'm going to keep my $19.35 million option. I'm not going to opt out. I'm going to stick it out for this whole five-year, $110 million nightmare that you signed me to, that I was so happy to receive. But now that you've told me you're going to sign a bunch of other players, now I'm going to return. Do you think that one person believes what you just said? You went to every other team and asked, how much will you pay to J.D. Martinez? And you were told, under 184 He's not even worth the qualifying offer amount. If you've got 19.3 from the Red Sox on a one-year deal, which is really what it is, 19.3 for one year, that's what's left of his deal, you better take that because that's as good as it's going to get. And he wants you to believe, Scott Boris does, that he did it because the Red Sox owners said they're going to try to be more competitive. So therefore, I said, all right, I'm going to grant you with my presence. Make no mistake about it. J.D. Martinez not opting out over the last year of his contract was about one thing, and that is business. 
This is nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.